Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Stones of Fire by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International, and we are on Chapter 8, Part 2. Fasten that door open, commanded Kotang, deputy officer of a department. The door was obediently tied back by one of his men. The party consisted of four, the Kotang, the young captain who had been ambushed, Red Thomas, and the girl soldier. Mama offered tea. The three men took it briskly, but the girl refused it. Coming in last, she had taken a seat at the table next to the door, the seat usually occupied by Mama at breakfast, and Mama made a mental note. She'll catch cold, for when that door is open, that seat is right in the big draft. But more important matters were at stake, with the Lard Dewan ambush again, but the Cochang was speaking. Madam, which of my men robbed you? None, sir, was Mama's quiet reply. Then why did you kill them? We did not, sir. And the lard said that they mistook you for robbers. Mama decided she would say no more. The Lesu heathen who were responsible were sitting beside her. Those lairds had too much power, snarled the Cochang. The way they oppressed those poor people, boycotting them on salt, making the women carrying loads that would injure them up steep mountains so that they could fatten themselves by a better salt market. And he went on. Mama sat up right and listened where he learned all these. This was interesting, and so far it was true. But as he went on, relating various incidents that had taken place within the last six months, an old sinner at Mama's left began to get uncomfortable, for the Cochang was hitting him too, and at last he put in a word. It was an excuse, soft, flatteringly couched in nice words, but almost slimy with falseness. The girl's soldier had been silent up to this point, but as that suave, slippery effort to escape judgment ended, she straightened, turned, and flashed a fire that made the old sinner cower back. She did not yell. Her voice was low and cultured, but she just whipped off the veil with which he had tried to hide his deeds, exposed it for what it was, and with a short, scathing contempt, turned back to her previous haughty silence. My goodness, you can talk when you want to, thought Mama to herself. That was magnificently done, and like a lady, too. I wonder who you are, and how you came into this wild canyon with such a company. Then, as she watched, suddenly a vision of Joan of Arc flashed in her mind. Why, bless your heart, you little old patriot. That explains it. I hope you don't catch your cold in that drought. I'd like to get you a coat. No, I better not. They'll think I'm touting. I don't want to be classed with a hypocrite here. I'd like better keep my hands off. And so Mama settled back to listen to Cao Ching, who was now discussing politics with a stranger who sat on Mama's right. By and by, the communist girl began to sniffle. Yes, you're catching a cold, all right, Mama's mental soliloquy went on. It's too bad that such an earnest little thing should get sick. She may be deluded, but she is made of good stuff. Wonder if I dare chance it. Yes, I will. And without warning, Mama ran up the ladder to the loft where she slept and returned with a coat. I'm afraid you're catching cold, she said pleasantly, and offered the garment. In a second, that girl that had sniffled threw up her arms in a gesture of icy refusal. The Cochang was a bit ashamed. Oh, she's all right, madam. She's tough. She travels the road with us men, sleeps by the roadside if we have to. We came from Ma Pulati today, and she can take it. That is not it, sir, replied Mama, putting the offered coat aside. That is my seat at mealtimes, and when the door is open, there's a big draft there. She's been mountain climbing and is heated, and I'm afraid that she would catch cold. That is all. 
You're not in danger, for the drought only hits her seat. Then Mama sat down, but as she did, she noticed the student girl had at least taken in Mama's real motive. She flushed a rosy red to the roots of her hair, turned as if to apologize, though still not accepting the coat. Hmm, thought Mama. She did not understand. She thought it was an American patronage of her parent poverty. Well, I like her. I wish I could give a chance to talk to her. In the meantime, the crowd had been gradually leaving. Red Thomas was warned that the lairds were reported to have changed their minds, and he hastily called his comrades into the room assigned for their sleeping quarters. Unknown to Mama, Lu Sing had also called a secret meeting of the deacons. We're not communists, he informed them, but in the person of our missionaries we have pledged our honor that this peace party shall not meet with treachery. I can see no other way that we men guard all the trails leading into this village all night so that they will not be surprised by an attack. I want five men for each trail, and I myself will join one group. Once daylight comes, the peace party must take its chances. We will have fulfilled our part. This was done, and on his way by the window of the house where the communists were sitting around their fire, Lucing overheard one of them say fearfully to the other, Are you sure that Laird Duan is not even right now hiding in some friendly hut in the village? But Red Thomas assured them not. He had learned of the action of the church. A December night in the mountains to stand guard all night was no small thing. The next morning dawned clear and sunny and all was peaceful. Mama overheard the young communist captain say to someone, Well, they're not all bad men in this village. If you ask me, most of them are a rare good sort. She smiled to herself. They must have learned about the guards last night. By ten o'clock, the road ahead had been examined and pronounced clear, and Red Thomas called the peace party together for departure. Mama went out, and seeing the girl's soldier standing by herself looking over the little dell, she went up to her. How old are you, Yang Laosi? Twenty-one, said the smiling reply. I have a daughter in America who is a student, too. You make me think of her. Lady teacher, we communists, and you are brothers. I think we have done a wonderful work in reducing this Lesu language to writing, and also the whole effect of your work has been most impressive to me. I came down over the Ninth District, which is almost all heathen, and then into your Christian district. I could not but see the difference between the heathen Lesu and the Christian Lesu. The heathens are opium, sots, liars, thieves. You cannot depend on them. The Christians are so different. You are like us, so I say, we are brothers. Well, my dear, answered Mama slowly, there are similarities without any doubt, but as I see it, it is like this. You communists are trying to change man's conduct. You want equality, all having the same chances in life. Christ wants that too, but he changes men's hearts. If you only force a change in conduct, you have not solved your problem. It will break out again. But if you change men's hearts, the conduct writes itself just naturally. All our Christians were heathens to start with. Miss Yang looked thoughtful. Then her face cleared. Oh, yes, we are going to change men's hearts, too, she exclaimed. We're going to change men's hearts, too. Just at that moment, her comrades called her to join them. So Mama gave her a couple of tracks, which she started to read, tripping happily down the trail. Mama stood and watched her with a yearning in her heart. You are a dear, and I pity you. She is obviously an idealist. That explains it. I suppose it is only an idealist who would offer to liberate such a place as this canyon is. But you are bound to disappointment if you think you can change men's hearts. You can change men's thinking with your careful indoctrinations, but that does not change his heart, little girl. 
people will be lovers of themselves without love, treacherous, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Wait until your life's happiness is in the hands of such, and you will find your hopes turned to ashes. You will find that, though the thinking has changed, the sin is still there. The corruption is still going on. The man is still undependable. It is not a mere change in the thinking that made opium smokers, thieves, and liars into Christians who guarded you last night. You poor child, disillusionment is a bitter experience. You will have no hope left unless, unless you remember that in Les Soulen you did see hearts and conduct permanently changed by one called Christ. You saw honor and love at work, not just talking. You did not know that it is Christ who can only make men brothers. It is Christ alone who really cares for the underdog. You read of his principles under the borrowed name of communism and falling in love with him. And that is what brought you into this canyon, just as it also brought me. I would like to be on the Lesu Trail when you come back disillusioned. I would like to help you find him. You have been a real challenge to me, too. You have deliberately stripped yourself of privileges you might have had in order to come down to the level of Lesu people. You walked their trails. Thirty miles you did yesterday, and that is superb, and slept on their board beds, eating their coarse food without a murmur, never asking for anything better. I've been disgruntled sometimes lately because living conditions continue so rough, but that old ladder, the smoke, the droughts, and so on. But I see now that it was the Lord's kindness to me, so that I might not have to blush in your presence. You are tough, the Cochang has said. Disciplined, he meant. I would that the Western world accept the challenge of your life, that they would never be your victor in the end. It will take stones of fire to conquer communism. One brave missionary who elected to stay behind with the Chinese church when the others of her mission were withdrawing wrote, We must out-love, out-serve, out-sacrifice any others who claim to have a way to solve life's problems. Chapter 9. From His Pocket to His Crown Mama was distinctly worried about Mary's condition. For over a month now, she had not been able to retain food, and the polypus was growing like nothing Mama had ever seen. It was all so septic. If only Mapa and Ava would come. Then one day, January the 8th, 1950, they were sighted coming along the winding trails into Olives. What a reunion that way. But before nightfall, Mama led Ava into Lucing Ma's hut where Mary lay now. Do you remember Sister Ava who taught you how to knit girls' Bible school in 1943, Mama said gently. Mary smiled her wan smile and reached out pitiful in it with a thin hand. Hope was high in every breast as Ava turned her flashlight onto that throat. No, I've never seen anything like this before, she said. All my three years in Tolly Hospital, we never had a case like this. But I will use what medicines I have and we will see. Then everything that love and medical skill could devise was done to make Mary comfortable. And she felt so much better that in a few days' time she even sat up outside in the sunshine. But one night, as it was nearing dawn, Lucing Pa called Mama and Ava. Mary's little daughter was stillborn. Again, Nurse Ava's skill helped the weak and fainting mother. And now that the cause of the nausea was gone, hope once more soared. But the polypus had gone down into the throat and speech was blocked. Mary signaled to Ava and asked her to try to operate. For there was Samuel Jew, also a graduate, who could be called in to assist. If only that polypus were out, Mary felt she would begin to get strong again. Ma Pa had responded to the telegram 
and the necessary instrument was now right in the village. To comfort her, Mama agreed. The two Lesu was sent the six days' journey to Pashan City to bring back the anesthetic and the medical instructions. There was no hope that the doctor could come when the countryside was so upset politically. Indeed, Mama knew that this was merely a gesture of sympathy to comfort the sick one. Even the two graduate nurses could hardly perform such an operation. Mary's patience and fortitude were wonderful. Always her New Testament and the hymn book she had won at Bible Club Award lay on the ledge near her hand, and with all her physical misery was still in an atmosphere of rest and quietness. The only time Mama knew her to be angry or display emotion was when Martha and the heathen relatives began to wail like heathen do. Then her eyes flashed fire and an impetuous wave of her hand was more eloquent than speech. She forbade them. Once when feeling very weak, she signed to Mama, and as Mama bent over her, Mary waved her hand from herself up to the sky and then put her hands together in an attitude of prayer, closed her eyes for a moment, and then opened them and looked keenly to see if her message had been understood. Mama nodded and right there prayed that if it were not God's will to make her better, he would take her quickly to himself. When the prayer was over, Mary smiled, formed her lips into the Lesu words of, Thank you, and peace once more reigned on her face. The messengers from Pashan were already on the return journey when one night, January 28, 1950, about 2 o'clock, Timothy came underneath Mama's window and called her. Mary has fallen asleep, he said. Praise God, replied Mama. Even though there was that human stab of the heart when a loved one leaves us, did she suffer? No, he replied. We were all asleep when Lucine Pa woke up and realized that the rattled breathing from Mary's bed, which had been constant night and day for a couple of weeks now, had stopped. The room was silent. He got some pine chips, lit them, and found she was gone. Are you coming down to sing the death song? When the Lucine Christians depart, instead of the heathen's death wail, the brethren in Christ gather around and sing, Sleep on, beloved. It was a quivering little chorus that dawn, for this one and then that one would break down for a second and then try to take it up again. It's not easy to say goodbye. Just 25 years old. Oh, why did God let it happen? He has not yet explained the reason. But if the great Jim lover decided he wanted to transfer this little stone of fire from his pocket to his crown, who dare say him nay? In his pocket is sweet to his touch, but in his crown myriads can enjoy it. Who would otherwise not even know it existed? And what a joy for her to go to sleep in that dark little hut, then a touch on her shoulder. She looks up and sees the king in his beauty, his radiance, filling the poor little cluttered hut until, like soft moonlight, it had blurred out the ugliness and merged all objects into a soothing dimness. Come, said that loved one, enter into the joy of your Lord and the shining host behind him, smiling and longing to come closer to exhort her. Boanerges' adult daughter and son, Azor's first wife. Yes, she was not leaving the dear brother and all olives. She was just joining the other parts of her family. Did she turn and give one quick glance at that emaciated form on the bed? Her old earthly clothes, that body was? Oh, what joy to be free from it, to take the breath of exuberating nectar of heaven. Oh, Wondrous captain of my salvation, dear heavenly friends, I am ready. Let us be gone. 
then forth on joyful wing, cleaving the sky. Sun, moon, and stars forget, upward I fly. From his pocket to his crown, dare anyone say it was not fair. The strains of the Christian death song floating through the cold dawn of that mountain village announced to all what had happened. In no time, Martha was flying over the trail, weeping as she came. Once at the bedside, she lapsed into the old heathen death chanting, quite unconscious that it was exactly what Mary would not have wanted. My little sister, I will not see you again. She wailed, rocking back and forth till Mama went and shook her, trying to bring her back to her Christian senses, but at a dazed upward look was all the reply. Martha's soul was in the days gone by, wandering through the memory lanes of childhood, calling, calling for the one who had always been at her side. Never in all her sixteen years in the canyon had Mama seen such a morning as took place. For three days, late into the night and before daylight, someone was wailing. Even Lucine could not stop it, and as no grave was ready, he could not shorten the morning until all was prepared. The heathen, of course, made the greatest noise, for the real Christian does not wail. Several times Mama went down to the hut to see if she could help. One such time the room was empty, when Lydia had entered just ahead of Mama, so preoccupied that she never saw who was following her. Mama stopped at the door and watched. Lydia went softly up to the coffin and drew back the sheet from the young face. She gazed and gazed, and then hot tears began to drop. Long did she stand there, unconscious of an audience, weeping silently over Mary's face. Mama tiptoed over with a prayer of gratitude in her heart. To meddle is to muddle. The great lover of souls has his own way of awakening us, she thought. Well, at last all was ready, and the pallbearers were called in line. Stalwart use of olives, heathen as well as Christian had offered. One of the tallest and biggest of them was crying out loud like a five-year-old. Lucing's eyes, red and swollen, had previously brought in to Mama a wooden cross, which he had made himself. Please print on this. She finished her course triumphantly, he said, then quickly turned and ran away. At the close of the little services at the open grave, Lucing, who had been weeping, pulled himself together and stepped forward. I wish to say a word, he said. I want to explain the words on the cross. Some of you are heathen and do not know the power of the Lord. But all of you know that Mary never faltered in her faith. You know how she suffered. You know that she never complained. It is only God that can strengthen us to finish like that. Then there following a simple exhortation of the heathen present. And within a week, two of them had turned to the Savior. Fire from God's opal was still kindling hearts. Just one more scene. It was at the foot of the great 11,000-foot pass over which Mom and Danny had to go in order to reach America. Rain had fallen and had brought in an early darkness so that there was nothing to do but go to bed. The party had arrived at the last human habitation before crossing the great peaks, and as the carriers and all were 13 in number, quarters were cramped. Mama had put Danny to bed and had also retired with him. Next to their bed was an open fire, still glowing from the fuel which cooked the evening meal. On the other side of the fire was another plank bed, occupied by Lucing and Caleb. Darkness, soot, cupboards, and junk filled every space, and outside the drip, drip of rain on soft mud made adventure impossible. So both young men were stretched out on their beds too, not sleepy, not able to move around. Caleb, usually a silent boy in olives, began to talk. Mary, that wife of yours was wonderful. Mama laying in the dark on the other side of the fire threw the blanket back so she could listen better. 
but Caleb did not notice. He was lost in memory, and the privacy of the darkness made it easy for him for once to talk his thoughts out loud. I cannot tell you how much I miss her. I did not feel it as much when my own mother died. Somehow you expect old folks to drop off sometime. You know it's coming. But the companion of your childhood. When I heard the cows up there on the knoll and come upon her grave, it's like a knife in my heart. She was always such a help to me. She was so faithful, always in her place in church, rain or shine, and even there she helped me. A look from Mary steadied a fellow. She did not know it, but many times when the talk might be getting boisterous or something, just the expression of her face would straighten me up. And she always cared so much that if anything happened to any of us, our sorrow was her sorrow. She was so pure, she never knew how much she helped me to go straight. I missed her even yet. I can't seem to get over it. And so, for about a half an hour, he talked so fast and brought up village incidents with which Mama was not acquainted, so that now and again she lost the trend of it, but inevitably he came back to the same point. When Mary died, something had been strengthened and blessed him was found to be gone. The darkness had Lucing's face, but once, when a pause seemed to expect a remark from him, he said in a low voice, She had a wonderful endurance. That little stone of fire was like a meteor. As it shot up to God, it left a trail of light behind it, which surprised everybody. The village had not realized what a spiritual prop the quiet maiden was until it came to the desire to lean again, and the prop was missing. God needs more stones of fire today. He can quarry them anywhere. He does not need rare materials with which to make them. Desert dust, sand, silica. These can be found anywhere. Principles shot through with passion. Passion held by principle. These must be yielding before it will hold. There must be an offering before the fire falls. The rest is the work of the master lapidary. The stone is only a stone until its heart is broken and the air has a chance to get in. The Christian convert is only a principle until he lets God have his way with him, break his heart, if that has to be. Anything in order to rip open the hardness and let God in. When the air has filled the fissures, then the stone is no longer a pebble. It is a gem, a precious opal, a stone of fire. That is the end of the book. It has been a very precious, and that last part was even more um, something I have to stop and think about, and I hope you get to can think about that as well, that how God has to break us sometimes, bring us to the end of ourselves that we might see who he is and to realize that it is all about him. And it's all about glory to his name and who he is. And I just pray that you are blessed by that. We may take a week off. I'm trying to get permission to read a book about Father Tinboom. And as soon as I get permission to do that, we will start back up. And I'm hoping that I'll, I'll get that this week. So be praying for that. And I think it would be a wonderful book to read as well, his biography. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.